Welcome to the Village Youth Podcast Show. Someone who is a follower of Jesus, then these are things that are basically the main descriptors of who you are. We went through prayer last week. We're doing Bible today. Next week, uh, we have a guest speaking on community. And then the week after that, we are talking about worship. And all four of these things, whether you're from the church or whether you're not, or maybe this is your first time, these are things that are important to know because this is the foundation of who we are. We're going to be using uh, the Bible quite a bit. So if you would like a Bible, uh, throw your hand up. If you do not own a Bible, um, this is our gift to you. You can take it home. So if you you are somebody who wants a Bible, if you don't have a phone, um, but fear, fear not, we will have them on the screen. All right. Uh, today we are talking about uh, the Bible. This thing is the most uh, read book in the history of the planet. This is the most popular book in the history of the planet. There are more of these printed than there is any other piece of literature in all of the world and in history, the Bible. Uh, the craziest thing about the Bible is that people don't really know a lot about it. Um, this is the major distinction of who you and I are as followers of Jesus. Uh, Muslims would call Christians people of the book. The main distinction for those people as they look at Christians is that you are people of the book. And this is not really a book. It's not just like this one thing that this dude wrote one time was like, okay, let's just have all these thousands of pages of content. No, it is 66 books written by a plethora of different authors who weren't communicating together. And it creates this one massive narrative, this one big story that is both human and divine of different genres and gives you one cohesive story. That's a weird way to say it, that the Bible is something that is both human and Divine. It is, it is both together. And the Bible's not hiding any of these things. It's pretty honest with you. I love uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where you hear this and you're like, what is going on? This is what Paul writes um, to the church in Corinth. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. What? Paul is talking on behalf of the Lord? That is crazy. And then you jump down to verse 12 and he says this. To the rest, I say, I not the Lord. And so it's kind of like jumping back and forth of like this humanness and this divinity piece of all of these different things. There's moments where Paul's talking to uh, the Romans and he goes, I've baptized some of you and some other people I might have baptized but I forgot. That's like a very human thing. The Bible is not hiding. <coughs> the human beings were authoring this book in a lot of different ways. I mean, I've read many really good books, but nothing has changed my life like this thing has. Now, I think sometimes, <coughs> sorry, uh, I think sometimes what's happened is that we look at the Bible and we go, okay, we have to read this every single day. It's a checkbox. It's all these different things. And it's not like that. What the Bible does is it gives us this window to not only ourselves, but to God. It allows us to see who he really is and allows us for maybe the first time in the age of this crazy fighting about who we are, our identity, in the midst of all the questions that we ask ourselves all the time, this is the thing that will allow us to navigate this in such beautiful ways. This is the best-selling book, as one person said, that no one has really read. Now, the Bible has a lot of problems. If you are a young person in high school, if you are graduating, you're going to college, the, the Bible is filled with a lot of different things that don't seem very politically appropriate. There is uh, genocide. There's misogyny. 
There's polygamy. There's war. There's absentee fatherhood. There's murder. There's adultery. What about all the dozens of translations of the Bible? Why are there so many disagreements on different translations? Why has this thing gone to be so crazy and polarizing? This book here doesn't seem like it's much of a help for young people as much as it is a liability. So why do we care about it? It causes so many problems. It has a lot of questions that we don't know how to answer. Why would we believe in this? I think the reason why we would believe in this is because what this is, for me, in my opinion, is when you get to the second half of this book, you're introduced to someone who, if you understand who he is, changes the game for everyone. His name is Jesus. You read his story, and it's beautiful. He's encountering people in such a way that you would go, man, I just want to be like that. And the way that Jesus views the Bible is very interesting, and this is what we're going to work through today. It's Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 20, and then we're going to skip a couple different places. And uh, that's what we're going to do. Have you ever gone to a place in your life where you have done something that made you feel awesome? Have you ever been that place? Um, I think uh, one time I was, uh, I was going to get my hair cut. And I got my hair cut, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to the person who's cutting my hair. And uh, she's like, oh, man, like, it's kind of a rough season. Like, I don't have a lot of money. Like, finances are really tight. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, what's, what, like, what are you struggling with, like, trying to purchase? And uh, she goes, oh, my phone bill. Like, I, I just can't pay for my phone bill. And I was like, well, how much is your phone bill? She's like, it's like uh, 110 bucks or something. I'm like, oh, girl, get yourself a better plan. Like, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, whatever. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, like, no worries. I'll float you, like, the 110 bucks. Like, I'll give it to you. And she's like, no, don't do it. I'm like, nah. like, whatever. I'll just give you 110 bucks. I don't have it on me, and I don't want to e-transfer you. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'll leave it, like, as the tip of, for this haircut. And you get all your tip, right? She's like, oh, 100%. I'm like, okay, sweet. So I go and I walk up to the counter. And, uh, and the lady's like, oh, it's going to be, you know, $30 or whatever for the haircut. I'm like, oh, my gosh, $30, that's so expensive. And, uh, and so the tip option comes up. I put manual and then I put $110. And uh, I, <laughs> I put it in there. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, I've paid receipt. And I start walking out the door. And as I'm walking out, uh, one of the ladies from the store runs out onto the street and walks up to me. He's like, sir, sir, you made a mistake. And she's like, I'm like, sorry, what? She goes, you paid for much to a tip. And it was, oh, this moment made me feel like incredible. Because I felt like, you know when a good guy walks away from an explosion and it's awesome? And she goes, sir, you tipped too much. And I literally walking, turned around went, no, I didn't. And then just kept walking. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, that was like, come on, somebody, right? There are these moments that make you feel, like, amazing about yourself. I remember years ago, um, my wife, uh, before she was my wife, we, like, if you don't know our story, we had broken up for a period of time. And I was like, I was really mad at her. And we were sitting in a meeting one time, and she said, oh, man, financially I wasn't doing well. And so I contacted her sister, and me and her sister had this weird plan where I'd put 100 bucks into an envelope, and she would grab that envelope of money. And what she would do is she would grab that, and she would hide it in her sister's room. And there was no name attached to it. Nobody knew that it was going to be me. I did this probably like eight or nine times. And for years, she never knew who I was. She never knew, uh, she never knew that it was coming from me, sorry. And years later, we're engaged at this point. And I'm like, for sure, like, Cassie's given me up 100%, she's told her. 
And I go, yeah, that was pretty crazy. You know, like when I was dropping the hundies. And she's like, what? I was like, oh, I'm giving you the hundies. And she's, what do you mean? I'm like, you remember when there's like the envelopes, like they're in your bed? And she's like, that was you? I was like, yeah, of course it was me. Who'd you think it was? And she goes, oh, I thought it was Brendan. Brendan? Yeah, you know, he's like rich. He has all this money. Brendan? Like, I got so mad and so offended. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, she, like, figured this thing out about me. And it was, like, this monumental, unbelievable moment where I was like, she loves me more than I could ever possibly imagine. I was just dropping hundies. Why do I share this story? I share this story because I've never shared those two stories with you before. And because I've never shared those two stories with you before, me telling you those things is showing you more about who I am. Me revealing information about myself in a way that I want to reveal it is allowing you to see me in a different way than maybe you have before. Now, I'm not usually the guy who comes up here and goes, well, look at me today. I was acting in a very godly manner, and I saw this old lady, and I was like, blesseth your blesseth. Like, I wasn't, I'm not that guy. I'm usually talking about how, like, you know, I peed my pants or, like, whatever, I fell down and, like, you know, stepped on an ant. I don't know. Like, there's these really horrible stories I usually tell about myself. But it's usually what I choose to dis, or to, to choose to inform you guys about. The Bible does this exact same thing. And you cannot look at it like a buffet. You cannot look at it like you are going to the Oriental Buffet or whatever in Guilford. Shout out. You're probably going to get a disease. Anyway, so I go there and you're just like, you go to the buffet and you're like, oh, I'm going to get the noodles and the fried rice. And then you're like, oh, broccoli, no. And then you're going to move on. You're like, fried chicken. Why is there always fried chicken? Anyways, so then you go to the end and then for some reason every like Oriental Buffet has just like a litany of jello for some reason. And you're sitting there, you're like, I'm... I've eaten more jello than I have food. Like, it's crazy. But you're sitting there and you're picking and you're choosing and you're wanting to do whatever it is that you want to do with it. And what we've done is we've done that exact same thing with the Bible. Where we sit here and we go, okay, I love this piece. Oh, Jesus, love your enemies. Not that one. Uh, okay, you want to be faithful to the woman that you love? Okay, I like that piece. Um, giving to the poor, that's really awesome. Serving people, loving them, that's really good. Oh, this whole part about sexuality. And we begin to pick and choose the things that we want to go and do. What begins to happen is if we have that kind of view of the Bible, then what this thing starts to do is it starts to look more like how you want it to look and reflect who you are rather than the God who wrote it. That's the problem. If you begin to use this as a way to mirror yourself and impact people so that it looks more like you, then you've really misunderstood what this thing is. And if you've misunderstood what this thing is, you don't really know the benefit of what it's trying to do. For Jesus, he doesn't compartmentalize. He doesn't break things down. He doesn't say, this thing's good, this thing's good, this thing's good, this one, er, don't, don't think about it that way. He takes everything together, and this is what he says, Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law and the prophets is the Old Testament. Those are two major chunks of the Old Testament. Do not believe that I have come to abolish all the stuff that has come before me. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I am the thing that will make these things clear. It's a massive statement. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. An iota is the smallest tiny piece in the Hebrew alphabet. Not even that is going to go away. Until all is accomplished. 
19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, relaxes like to break or to ignore or to kind of make something a little bit easier. Anyone who relaxes one of these, of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, Jesus believed in the scriptures. Jesus believed in the Bibles. This is the guy who had basically 60% of the Bible memorized. Like, memorized. That's crazy. I don't even remember, like, my password for Facebook. Like, what are we talking about? This guy had the whole thing memorized. And for Jesus, how he saw it was a couple different ways. Verse 17 is really interesting because he says this. Do not think that I've come to abolish it all, but I came to fulfill it. For him, what he believes, first and foremost, is that he is the climax of the story. That he in his life is doing something and I have come to make this all make sense. The second is that he says not one piece of this information is going to go away. He finds it to be trustworthy. And 19, he says not one thing will be relaxed. He finds it authoritative. Now the crazy part about the Bible and the reason why we don't really want to invest a lot of time into it is because we understand what it means for us in our life. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, this old philosopher, said it this way. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Have you ever known that? And you know that you should be listening to something, you're like, ah, I'd rather not even go there because I know what it means for me. A lot of people talk about way about church. Oh, I don't want to go to church because I know if I go to church, there's all of these things that I'd have to do. Oh, I don't want to go to that thing because if I go to that thing, there's all of these things that I have to do. I'd rather just avoid those and live in the way that I'm kind of living rather than having myself be impacted. And for Jesus, his interpretation of all of these things is insane. But the other part of this is that the Bible is very dangerous. The way that Jesus talks to people who are so crazy about uh, the fundamentals, so crazy about these angry individuals. Have you ever seen um, those Christians who are like, incredibly judgmental. They're going to go out and they're going to go to, you know, a gay pride parade and they're going to have the signs and they're going to say all these crazy things. That is problematic. It's problematic that Christians who say that their whole life is about love is going to go out and just basically say, my demeanor is to destroy other people even though we've never had a conversation. Now, I'm not saying you can have, you don't have to have differing uh, perspectives. I'm not saying you don't have to have differing or you don't have to agree with them, but to go out of your way to go and do something like that makes no sense. Because if you look through the Bible, who does Jesus get into fights more with? Right? There's a woman who's caught in adultery, literally sleeping with a dude. These people pull her out. She is naked on the street. And they go, Jesus, shouldn't we get mad at her? He's like, no. If you have never made a mistake, if you've never made a sin, you be the first one to throw the stone at her. And they sit there and like, well, we got nothing to do. We've made plenty of mistakes. And they leave her on the ground and then Jesus walks away. Or the, the, all the Pharisees walk away. And Jesus looks at this woman naked on the street. And he looks to her and he says, oh, I guess they didn't do anything. I'm not going to do anything either. Go and sin no more. See, his perspective is that those people caught in a bunch of different problems, those are not the ones he had the issue with. The ones that he had the issue with were the people who were too uptight, too religious, too 
stuck in the stuff that they are doing with their lives. I'm going to live my life in such tight boundaries of who I am that all of a sudden I begin to be a different kind of person. Jesus looked at those people and said, bro, you guys are a bunch of snakes. How intense is that? That the religious, the super conservative, the like, oh, I'm super angry with the Bible. Those are the individuals that Jesus fought with more rather than the people who were making sin happen in their life. And Jesus is not saying, hey, keep making the mistakes. Keep doing the dumb thing. Keep having that kind of a perspective. Jesus isn't doing that. But what he's saying is the Bible is dangerous for people who do not understand, who do not have eyes to see, who do not have ears to hear. And that is the way that it's said. And people around the world know that that's true. The Bible takes wisdom and knowledge and awareness and a relationship. There's scriptures talking about uh, the trees are clapping in worship to God. If you misunderstand that, you're going to think it's like Lord of the Rings where these trees are walking out. They're like, like, that's not what it's talking about. It's this poetic, beautiful language that all of the cosmos, all of ecology, every piece of creation is impacted by how God has moved. It's beautiful. Um, Harper Lee, she's the lady who wrote uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. This is what she said. Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. There are just some kind of men who are so busy worrying about the next world, they've never learned to live in this one. And you could look down the street and see the results. This is a crazy book. This can push you one way or it can push you another. And what I'm saying is if Jesus is not at the forefront of your life, this is going to turn you into someone that he does not want you to be. So why the Bible? Why? Well, I think when I look at your life, I think there's maturity. There's growing. There's growth. There's things that you learn. Uh, for some reason, when I started to learn how to drive, I thought that the only way that the car ever moved is if you hit the gas. And uh, so I just played Mario Kart for forever. And I'm like, the car only moves when you hit the button that makes the gas go. And so we're in the car. And uh, I remember my mom, she's like four foot ten. She's like, okay, honey, okay, put your hand on the thing. And I like put my hand on. She's like, okay, now take the, the emergency brake off and then slowly let go and the car will move. And I'm like, what, mom? You're like, you don't even know how to drive. You have to hit the gas. And so we're sitting there in the garage and I put the car into reverse and just crank the gas. My car flew out of this garage. My mom starts screaming. She starts losing her mind, like little 410 her, right? She's like this little one. She's freaking out, like screaming. And I think to myself, and I just, like, I'm like, oh my goodness. And I, you know when you're talking to yourself, but you're still doing the thing that you shouldn't be doing, but you're like, oh, this is a bad idea. I was doing that for like three seconds straight. As I pull out of this thing, and then I suddenly hit the brake, it all jolts, there's stuff flying everywhere, and I was like, whoa. She goes, I'm going to kill you. Right? Like, I'm sitting there, like, terrified of, like, what in the world is going on? And for me, man, I could have killed someone. If anybody was walking past my garage in that instant, they're dead. Like, I would have killed seven and a half people. Like, I don't know what would have happened, but I would have totally, man, the Bible is like that. Without maturity, without knowledge, without wisdom, without an understanding of how this thing works, it can be used for a completely different purpose from what's intended. So why the Bible? Why is it important for you? Why do you need it in your life? I think this is why. Uh, There's a guy who I think has impacted my life in a number of different ways. His name is uh, Augustine. And, uh, and St. Augustine was this guy who wrote this book 
uh, the confessions, and it just like rocked my life. And in it, he says a couple different things that I think are really important. He says this, uh, men, especially in Vancouver, like listen to language, men go to gape at mountain peaks, at the boundless tides of the sea, the broad sweep of rivers, the encircling ocean and the motion of stars, and yet they leave themselves unnoticed. They do not marvel at themselves. A man cannot hope to find God unless he first finds himself. For this God is deeper than my inmost being. Experience of him becomes better the more inward. Above all, it is man's tragedy that he should be driven to flee outwards, to lose touch with himself, to wander far from his own heart, that you were right before me, but I had moved away from myself. I could not find myself. How much less then could I find you? That's beautiful language for what this is trying to do. What this is trying to do is allow you, first and foremost, to see you for who you really are. There's a number of different things that in the beginning of the Bible tell you that you're a pretty jacked up person, that you make a lot of mistakes, that when your parents say don't do that, there's something in you that goes, I want to do that, right? Don't throw the cat out the window. Suddenly in your mind you're like, oh, the cat's got to go. Right? Like, it's just like this weird, innate feeling. There's something that happens. I remember one guy who was telling this story about uh, his daughter. And he's, he walked up and he, uh, he there was like three girls in his room. They're all, like, dressed up like little princesses. And she, they were in this bunk bed and whatever. And all of a sudden, he's downstairs and he just hears a. And he goes, oh, no. And he walks up to the bedroom and he looks at the little girls. And there's two little girls on the top bunk and one's on the ground crying. He goes, what happened? She goes, well, Daddy, we're princesses, and a dragon was chasing us. So we climbed up to the castle. But the castle only fit two. So somebody had to go. <laughs> and he's, like, looking at her like, oh, my gosh, you're a demon. Right? Like, what is happening? She's like little, like five years old. And in her mind, she's like, oh, we need to like toss this chick off the bunk bed and like let her die to the evil dragon that's going to consume her. Like when you really think about it, you're like, this is quite twisted. Like you were going to let that dragon eat her. Like that's bad. There's something in us from the very start of who we are that doesn't go away. This tendency in our hearts that's like, oh, man. And what happens is as soon as you read this thing, you go, that makes a lot more sense. You look at the world, you listen to the news, and you go, man, the world's pretty jacked up. Like, there's a lot of really, really strange, messed up things that happen and that people do. The more you read this, you go, the more that makes sense. You begin to see the goodness of what's going on and, and the beauty of what's happening. And you look to that and you go, man, this makes it make a whole lot more sense. Because when I look at this, I see myself in such a way where I go, dude, I have to fix a lot of different things. I'm a pretty selfish human being. My marriage will not work out if I'm always selfish. Man, I have to give away my money. I have to stop thinking about my time as only as my own. I have to think about all of these plethora of things in my mind where I go, dude, God is trying to do something so phenomenal with me. God is trying to change me first and foremost into more of an image of who Jesus is. And what this does is it changes us. Now, let's not look at this as like this weird book of like a checkbox that I have to read it every single day and I have to complete this task. And if I don't, then goodbye. I guess I'm not going to heaven and I won't be with the Lord. No. Like I've been trying to do a Bible in the year this year. I'm currently eight days behind. Eight days behind. And you look at me and you go, whoa, 
that's like, that guy right there, that's the holiest guy I know. Eight days behind. I'm not very holy in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of times where I make jokes and I'm like, oh, that was not appropriate. And the best part is when I always do it with the Herchuk boys because they look at me and they go, what's wrong with you? And I go, there's a lot wrong with me. There are so many times where I've said things and I've done things where I'm just like, oh, man, like I cannot believe that these things came out of my mouth. And when I read this book, it makes me look at my life and I go, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense of why I want to do this, but this allows me to see who I really am. And then the next part is it allows me to see God for who he is. And it's so crazy for me to think that God himself decided to reveal himself, to show us. Remember at the beginning when I was telling those stories about me and allowing you to see me a bit from a different angle? God is doing that, where he looks to people and he says, I want you to know me. Like, I want you to know me. This, first and foremost, has to be about what your desire in life is. If you go, I want to know God. Like, I really want to know who he is. He's looking and he's saying, listen, I've made that really clear. I've made that super open about how you can get to understand me. If you want to know more about me, man, I wrote a whole book for you. You want to know about how my character is, how I work with people, how I love them, what I would do for them? Man, I wrote a whole book for you. And for some of us, we're always constantly just fighting for the new thing, fighting for the new thing, more information, looking for what God is saying, something new over and over and over again. And what I would say is do not get caught up in looking at God as someone who is always looking at your future and telling you something new. Sometimes the past is always what's best. I think about this in Luke 4. Look at Jesus' perspective to God revealing himself in the, te- in the middle of temptation. The devil goes up to Jesus and he tempts him in a number of different ways. After he's fasted, he's hungry, he's lonely, he's tired, all of these things that happen. And the devil says to him, uh, Luke 4, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. There's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing weird about that. But so often in our life, we just go, God, what are you telling me? What should I do? How should I go and do this? How should I go accomplish this goal? We sit there all the time. Do you do college or do you do uh, work? Do you go take this class or that class? Which of the sciences should I be doing? Should I do a second language? There's all of these different questions that we ask ourselves. Should I still be a friend with this person? And we keep going, God, tell me. God, show me. God, do something. God, allow me to understand this. For Jesus, he's not sitting there. He's not going, give me new information. Give me new information. Give me new information. Look at what Jesus does. When the devil tells him to go and do something. The devil said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give you all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And what's Jesus' response? For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. 
For Jesus, he's not saying, God, what are you telling me to do next? What's the new information? What's the new word? What are you continuously bringing to my life? We're sitting there in prayer. God, tell me something. Tell me something. Tell me something. And for Jesus, his perspective is a new problem means to go back to old words. A new problem means to go back to old words. What if it's not about what God is going to say? What if it's about what God has already said? That's a massive part of what this is doing for you. Man, how do I navigate my marriage? How do I sit there in the middle of an argument and go, I'm going to fight. I'm going to constantly go over and over and over again. Because what this has done is this has shaped people's lives in so many ways. Man, I remember years ago, I was sitting there and my family is like really rough. Uh, my grandpa was like just a raging alcoholic. I get a phone call, and my grandfather had gone at my grandma with a knife. And we had to go to the house. It was this very tense moment. Everybody's kind of freaking out, and we had to, you know, call the police. It was this big thing. The next day after this whole thing had gone down, the very first thing I see is my grandma at the same table as she is every other morning, reading the Bible, praying, and just weeping all over it. And it shook me to go, somebody who was so in tune with this thing is probably the closest individual to Jesus that I know. And she was rocked in this. Like me and my mom, when we were, when I was a kid, all through high school, we would just fight each other. Just like go at it, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And every single time we got into a fight, it was always my grandmother who would walk up to me. She'd go into my room in the middle of this heated fight, and she would say, you need to go apologize. You need to go say, I'm sorry. Forgiveness is the mark of who you are. And I, she'd leave the room. I'd get up. I'd go to my mom's room. And I would say, Mom, I'm sorry. And my whole life, my whole life, my mom never said, I'm sorry back. Next fight would happen. Same story. Grandma would come into my room. And she would tell me, listen, you got to go apologize. I'd walk back into the room. And I'd go apologize. And what I began to notice was that my, my grandma's Bible was in shambles. Like that thing was falling apart. It was messy. And it's an old cliche, but I think it's pretty important where they say, man, if you find somebody whose Bible is a mess, you're probably in the midst of somebody who isn't. Somebody who just goes over through this. Somebody who just leans into what this is saying practicing into their hearts, those are some beautiful individuals who lean, who learn, who look at God himself as trying to show me who he is, and I need to dive in in ways that is so imaginative. It's so beautiful to think about. Like, isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy for us to think like, like God, like the creator of the universe, the one who thought all of this into existence, the one who made every single fiber of who you are, that he himself is so interested in you that he goes, man, the best thing for you, the greatest thing that can ever happen to you is for you to know who I am. And I'm going to go to lengths, over lengths, over lengths to make sure that you understand who I am. I'm going to make this easy for you. Like, isn't it crazy for us to go, man, like the God of universe, the God of the universe knows who you are and wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He's not the absentee father who never, who never cared about you, who doesn't want a relationship with you, who runs away. No. He's not the friend who you constantly feel like is pushing away and then is really nice and you can't really get a grasp on that relationship. 
No, here is a God creator, the king creator looking at you. You. He says, I want to be with you. I want you to know who I am. I want you to discover me. Because if you discover me, you will see yourself in a completely different light. That's what this thing affords for you. Man, getting to know people is the most astonishing and most amazing thing on the planet. When you begin to see these people and you grow in your knowledge of them, it is amazing. Like I've told you before about my wife, that every single time I learn a new piece of information, I write that thing down. Where I'm like, oh, okay, she loves Cafe Crepe downtown. She, I, ha I have like the specific color of Gatorade that she likes like on this list. Like it's just this constant list that I update all the time whenever she says, oh, this is my favorite movie or this would be my perfect date. Like every single time she says one of those things, I'm just like, oh yeah, like what else, what else would you want there? And she would just like, she doesn't even know what's happening. I'm like, oh, I need to use the facilities. And I'd run to the bathroom and just like type everything into this thing. Man. The deeper you get to know someone, the more you get to know. It's like this addiction of sitting there going like, I just want to know you more. I want to understand you more. I want, I want to know you on such a level where it's almost second nature that I know exactly what you would want in any second. It's beautiful. You sit there with your wife and you go, oh, I know exactly what you want. I know exactly how this is going to work. I know exactly what this is going to be. And there is no better feeling when you just nail it. You get the perfect Starbucks order. You pick the perfect movie. You pick the perfect day. You choose the best restaurant. And all of these things is because I've dedicated the time to want to know her because that is my greatest motivation in our relationship. Is that the same way for you and God? You just task over like, man, I want to know you. Like the deepest part of my heart, regardless of what happens, is through worship, I just want to know you. Through my friendships and community, I just want to know you. Because if that's the disposition of your heart, there is no greater way than this. God, I want to know you. Well, here I am. God, I want to know what you're like. Well, here I am. I want to know your character. I want to know your mercy. I want to know your forgiveness. Well, here I am. This is not a rule book. This is not some guide for your life. This is nothing more than the story of God himself redeeming human beings and allowing you to see who he truly is. And the question that has to be asked for you and for anybody else is to go, do you want that? Because if you don't, don't have it a part of your life. That's fine. But if you do, if you do say, God, you are what I need in life. You are what I want to know. And I want to get to know you more and more and more. And this is, this is foundational. This is fundamental for who you believe yourself to be. And once again, a follower of Jesus who says they don't want the Bible is someone who probably says they don't want Jesus anyway. This is what Thank you for listening to the Village Youth Podcast Show. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and don't forget to subscribe.